Welcome, family of faith. How are you guys doing tonight? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Why don't you turn to one person around you and tell them you're happy to see them here tonight. And live streamers, we're so glad that you're with us. Be sure to share the stream and encourage somebody out there tonight online. Um, the next thing I have, if you're a first-time guest, 
there's a little card in the back of the pew that you can fill out. And you can drop it in the offering bucket or bring it out to the Welcome Center because we would love to meet you. Now, how many of you have been doing the prayer, the fasting, and the praise week with us? Anybody? So powerful to come together in unity. Amen. So Friday is the day of praise, and we're excited about that. And then the following weeks, Monday through Thursday, um, we're going to join together corporately and pray. Uh, the church will be open certain times of the day, and you can get that information out at the Welcome Center or on social media. Also, here's another fun thing. How many of you guys know how to check in on social media, on Facebook, Instagram? Anybody? So it's super fun to post a picture, let people you know, know you're, that you are at church because it's a great way to spread the gospel and show them that we can have fun at church, amen? We're here together as a family of faith and we can spread hope online. So why don't you guys get on your feet with us tonight? Are you guys ready to praise the Lord? Amen.
storm surrounding me, fear is taking my peace, the loss of fighting me when I am weak. The storm surrounding me, fear is taking my peace, the loss of
Praise God. Amen. God bless each and every one of you. I get the honor tonight of doing the offering. Hallelujah. And so we're just going to take a couple moments here. And I want to remind you that in the book of Exodus chapter 35 verse 21, it talks about before that how Moses had spoke to the congregation about what they were going to do to build a place for God. And it says that they went and everyone who was stirred up and their spirit made them willing came and brought their offering. And I want you to know that our giving and our tithing and our offering giving should be purposed out of our relationship with God. Out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says in there that everyone who purposes in their heart. So I thank God for people that give not out of just a religious activity or just because it's requested but because in our relationship with God he has stirred us by faith to understand that when we give he's faithful amen I remember when Regina and I first started coming to church this one time we were sitting there and I was stirred in my spirit to give and I believe it was a $50 offering and I'm telling you that my wife Miss Regina with that prophetic spirit of hers she said, honey, you're supposed to give this. And I said, yeah. She said, what are you waiting for? 
She said, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And here you are. If you don't give cheerfully, you're going to take away from what God can do for us. So I was walking down there convicted, saying, man, Lord, I need the faith of Miss Regina Walker. And by the time I got down there, I gave that offering faithfully and, and faith-filled. What was funny was we left the church, and she wanted to go right over across the street there years ago to get something from the gas station. And I said, babe, you didn't understand? That was all we have. That's all we have till we get paid. And she went, what? But I got to tell you, God was so faithful that week. He met our needs. He just proved himself. And I want you to know that that moment brought us through a time where we have never, ever not known the provision of God. So tonight I pray that you are stirred in your spirit and that you give knowing that every time you release your tithe and offering that our Father in heaven is faithful and he's going to bless us and increase us. Amen? So we're just going to, if you have your offering envelopes ready tonight, I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to ask the ushers to bring out the buckets and we're just going to give our offering unto the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus... Lord, I thank you that you are so faithful, God. And Father, I thank you that in Jesus' name, you are stirring us, God, to hear you, to know what to give, both how to tithe and when offerings need to be released, you're helping us do it, God, because it is your way of attaching us to the supernatural, to the realm of God where you can increase and do what you desire to do in our lives, God. And Father, I thank you for blessing us and taking care of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, God bless you. God, hallelujah. hallelujah. Philip, are you going to be open next week? Uh, not, this weekend, but the weekend. not this weekend, but the following weekend. 16. So we're 16th. We're going to believe God that they're going to have their first service there. And uh, then that Sunday night, I'll uh, be preaching there. Uh, at what time? 6.30? 6.30. So we do encourage you to come over and just celebrate that uh, Kenton has got in their new building. Praise the Lord. And uh, yeah, it will, it will bless you. And that, that's a part of what we're doing in the uh, kingdom of God and uh, the campuses. The only thing we need to do, we need to uh, just continue to pray for Dayton campus that we get a building. And, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, things are just moving. Kylan had the biggest crowd uh, 
that he's had for a long time. He was up 10 people from the week before. And uh, so he's all excited and they praise God, paid all their bills and that. So he's happy about that and we're proud of him. Praise God. So let's right now uh, look at who will God heal. Now I know that that's a, probably a vast statement, big question, who would God heal? If we could find that out, then we could boldly go before the Father. We could boldly take a stand. We could boldly resist. Uh, Phyllis and I had a friend, and uh, she got saved, and uh, she went home and told her mother. She said, well, you have to be chosen before the foundation of the earth to be saved or not. How do you know that you're chosen? She was talking about a, a false teaching about predestination, and... Uh, so she goes in and prays. And when she comes out, she tells her mom, well, I asked God and he told me I was one of them. So from that point on, there was no discussion about her eternity. And the, one of the most important things that you and I can lay hold of is to know who God is. Now, I'm not talking about let, let me rephrase it. Not just to know who God is. You know, so many times we think that if we have information, we have knowledge, we have facts, that we know somebody. That's really not intimate enough to commit ourselves or to trust ourselves with. And let's start out in John 8.54, and we're just going to look at a few things before we uh, get into discovering who God will heal. Not who God can heal. God can heal anybody. And uh, he does have requirements, and the requirements, first of all, are faith. And it says, and Jesus answered, if I honor, honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Now, Jesus makes a big distinction between religious formulas and intimacy with his Father. See, we can know about God, but that doesn't really mean that we trust God. It means that we have facts about God. And so passion comes from on the inside of every man or every woman. And so when we become intimate with God, then what happens is this. He becomes our Father God. He becomes something that is unique. Most people address him, well, if God would, well, I understand that, but what if my Father will? That is a whole new concept. And then if we go to John 8.37, John 8.37, this is where the discussion of all of this started, and it says, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen of my father, and ye do that which you have seen of your father. Notice the motivation, the passion, 
the commitment to what they are doing, the lifestyles that they have formulated, and it's all based on some type of intimacy. And then it says, And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, We have not been born in fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded from him, came from God, Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. And you do not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word. And ye are your father, the devil. Boy, Jesus wouldn't have been liked by that. And the lust of your father you will do. Ye, he was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him when he speaks he speaks a lie. He speaketh of his own, and he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe not me. Which one of you convicteth me of sin? And if, ye, if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? And he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hath a devil. Wow. Jesus compares many times, and he even reflects back to God sent me. God gave me his word. God spoke something to me. But then when he begins to speak about why he is doing what he's doing, why he lives the life that he lives, he refers to God as his father. There must be something deeply connected to the reality of us being intimate with God other than just knowing him by facts and statements. Remember when Jesus, they asked Jesus to pray, he didn't say, well, this is what you say, hey, God. No, he said, address him as Father. Because the assurance of the stance of any believer is that he knows his Father. He knows, yes, God is the creator. Yes, God sent, God created all men. But it is the issue of intimacy that enables us to trust. Do you understand? I'm not telling you that God's not God. But just facts and statements, discoveries about God does not make God real to the one that holds that knowledge. So when we begin to put faith into our relationship with God, it's only then that the scriptures really become alive. It's only then when we hear 
the Father speaking to us out of the Scriptures. And I think one of the most important things about receiving anything from God is that you need to understand that He is your Father. Now, it's not just about you getting information and being able to quote, oh, yes, He's my Father. We're not talking about just in, uh, information. We're talking about using faith in that information and building something intimate that he's not just God of creation. Therefore, he has the right to demand or require commandments, but that he is our father. And it wouldn't mean anything to us to do what he asks us to do. Amen? All right. Remember that Jesus, in, well, let's go to John 18, 10 through 11. John 18, 10 through 11. Jesus, in the last moments of life, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And then said Jesus to Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me shall I not drink. Peter knew God. He knew facts about God. He knew certain information about God. Remember in Acts the 10th chapter when the Holy Ghost spoke to Peter through a dream. He said, no, God, not me. I have not ever defiled your commandments. And he was re regarding his dietary, Jewish dietary system of eating. And he said, I've not eaten anything unclean. But notice that he talks to him as God. But Peter thinks because God has given him something that he can help God's plan to come together. But Jesus, because he knows God as his father, submits to the cup that God has given him, knowing that it's a cup of injustice, knowing that God is going to have him bear the sins of many, going to go a path where no man has ever went, but he trusts God in it. Into thy hands commend I my spirit. How does a man trust someone enough to put his hands, his life into his hands, and to be able to go into unknown regions and still walk by faith? That is not just having facts about God, but becoming intimate with him so that his identity with you becomes a place of refuge. Okay? All right. The second absolute thing that we need to get in our mind when we're talking about healing is this. Make this an absolute unchangeable, unshakable fact. God is not a respecter person. 
I know that we say that, but when we get into a trial or we get into a battle, we constantly start asking God questions in our mind about, well, God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? God hasn't stopped doing anything. He is not a respect of persons. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is no question. But get these things in your heart. God is not a respect of persons. Now, people experience God in different ways and in different depths because of their growth, because of their faith, because of their uh, love for God, their obedience unto the Father. But overall, God is not a respect of persons. In other words, if you'll do the word, the word will do for you. If you'll work the word, then the word will work for you. If you do nothing, the word will not make anything happen. That happens with everyone. God says, call upon me in the time of trouble, I will answer you. If you're silent towards God in the time of trouble, then you will walk through your trouble on your own. Okay, yep, that's a good one. Colossians 3, 25 says, If a man does evil, then he will reap for that evil, because God is not a respect of persons. Amen? So God treats everyone the same. He just simply has conditions that everyone must meet. You say, but God loves us unconditionally. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that you get to receive the love of God without condition. Salvation is an act of God's love. But if you don't use faith, you will not be saved. Amen. All right, so, and then let's go to 2 Corinthians 1, 19 through 21. Remember that, first of all, let's become intimate with the Father, that you know him beyond just information. And it doesn't take long. Just begin to treat God as if he's real. Secondly, God is not a respect of persons. God loves me as much as he loves anybody in this building. Now, I may have missed him a million times, and you haven't, but nevertheless, God loves me just as much as he loves anybody in this place. Amen? And just by knowing some of you, maybe more. That was a joke. All right. 2 Corinthians 1.19 says this, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Syl Silvanus and Timothy, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him, in Christ Jesus, in sonship are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. So every promise that we live by unveils God through us. Now, you must never accept thoughts that it is God 
hindering, withholding, trying to teach you some special lesson or equipping you for some future ministry if you do not receive results or a manifestation of any promise immediately. I hear people all the time say, well, well I, I, what, why is he waiting? Well, God's wiser than you. God's smarter than you. God sees everything. You just see you. You just see your momentary need. But God sees the overall activity against you and the use of faith from you. So we can't just take thoughts and think, well, you know, this didn't happen. I must have done something wrong. Get this about God. If he can't reveal to you what's wrong, then there's nothing wrong. So many times people try to look for sin. Well, I, I've been looking what I did wrong. If it's not in front of you, you probably didn't do it. Amen? You don't have to walk on eggshells around God. If I have sinned, I expect God to lead me. I expect God to convict me. I expect God to show me. Because sin is deceptive. And I could not see it without the help of my Father. Amen? All right, so we must never accept thoughts that place God against us instead of for us. Just get that type of stuff out of your mind. God is not against us. He is for us. And it's that type of thinking. Remember, if God be for us, so if you don't have a mindset that God is for you, if the devil starts launching thoughts your way, well, you know, God's hindering you. God's trying to slow it down. God's got something better for you. God's trying to do this. God's trying to do that. No, you have got to resist such thoughts. Amen. And never ever doubt or question why. Why am I sick? Why did this happen to me? Why has it taken so long? Why is God waiting? Where is God? Well, all of those are things that challenge whether God is faithful to you and I. Now, God will heal. Remember the entitlement of the message. The other is just steps to help us secure it. The title of the message is, Who Will God Heal? Well, let's go to Romans 10, 19. Romans 10, 19. Anybody remember last week's message? Sozo. In our salvation, there is what? Healing. I remember that. There is healing. Salvation means healing, health, wholeness, protection, deliverance, preservation. And here it says this. But I say, did not Israel 
Oh, I'm sorry, Romans 10, 9. Did I say 19? Well, okay. And if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Next verse. And with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all that call upon him. For whosoever, notice that word, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Sozoed, healed, delivered, preserved made whole, rescued, restored. So if God will not forbid salvation, then he does not forbid the benefits of it. Right? So who would God heal? Whosoever. Now, are you a whosoever? Well, if you're a whosoever, then God has made an agreement and a covenant with you and he has showed you the process of how to obtain it and receive it. Get it in your heart. Remember, this is so important. Don't just know facts about God. Get him attached to your heart. And then you can believe and confess and God will perform. Now let me say this. Notice something about salvation. It doesn't happen in a moment of time. Now it happens in a moment of time when you use your faith. But there is no evidence of it happening at that moment. Well, I felt good. <laughs> I used to get high and feel good. That, that has nothing to do with salvation. Well, I just felt like a load was lifted. I felt like that when my in-laws left. Look, you could go on and on and tell me everything, but you cannot guarantee that you were saved and the only thing that keeps your salvation secure is your stance that you believe it happened. Now, your whole life is lived by making statements of faith based on something that you've never seen, but you've heard of and accepted as unchangeable. Is that right? Absolutely. You tell people about heaven. You've never been there, don't have a picture, don't have a deed. You don't have anything. You have a hope of eternal life. If you hold fast your faith. So in other words, salvation 
begins at the altar. And it's guaranteed as long as you hold that faith true. And it is a work in process. And it is a work that will be completed to wit, Romans 8th chapter, at the redemption of our body. Now, how many of you believe you're saved? And did any of you get an email? I've heard people say, boy, they really got saved. That lasts about two weeks, and you say, where are they? Well, they really backslid. <laughs> they got the realies in them. Now, you don't have any evidence that you are saved except by doing what this word says for you to do. Now, certainly you're changed, but the only reason you're changed is because you have accepted salvation, which is a past-provided salvation, and that it requires your faith, and when it requires your faith, you count it as completely done. Somebody come up to you and said, hey, I, I, I heard that you were a drug dealer. No, 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 never, never, absolutely never. Oh, I knew, no, I wasn't a drug dealer because the old man is done away with and all things are new. You wouldn't acknowledge that you had done something wrong. Would you go around and say, well, well I used to be a fornicator, once fornicator, always a fornicator. You wouldn't do that. You tell people, I'm saved, I'm forgiven. And you hold that fast. And they start arguing you about it. You hold them off with the shield of faith. And if they keep pressing it, you help them up off the ground later. Because we are adamant that we are saved. You can kill us. You can take us into the lion's den. You can throw us into the fiery furnace. You can crucify us. You can pull us apart. You can reject us. You can imprison us. But you will not get us to deny that we are saved. Not going to happen. Now, who will God save? Whosoever. What does salvation mean? Healed, whole. Now, no one doubts that God saves every sinner, though I have had people doubt me. You remember when Donnie Day came to, he's a Baptist preacher now, and he said, he came to Phyllis, and he said, I wasn't home. He said, hey, is Pete here? And she said, no, and he said, look, he said, tell me the truth. What scam is he pulling? She said, no, no, he's, he's, he's not. He really got saved. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, tell me what he's really going to what, what, What's going on? She said, no, he got saved. You're kidding me. Because people sometimes doubt your salvation, but your salvation is not based on their doubt, on their evidence, on their requirements, or their statements. It's based upon your con. All right, so 
we must never doubt that God would save us if he'd save every sinner, then he would heal every son and daughter. Amen? All right, let's go to Matthew 14, 36. Hallelujah. Matthew 14, 36. And besought him, Jesus, that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touch were made perfectly whole. Perfectly whole. Do you think they were perfect people? No. But when they touched him, why were they able to touch him? Because Jesus walked through them. So if he walked through them, evidently, he was making himself available to them. So his will was, I want you all healed. Isn't that what he was saying? They've already stated, if we could touch the hem of your garment. So Jesus doesn't stay on the ship. He doesn't go around the crowd. He walks right through the crowd. And probably slowly, hey, I rejoice with you. Blind man, I'm glad. Go home and be thou well. You, I'm so encouraged. You've believed God. You know, tell your neighbors that God is a healer. Bring them back to the synagogue. Jesus wasn't running through the crowd. He walked through the crowd, conversing, being interested. He was engaged with the people that were being liberated from their torments, their ailments, and their struggles and battles. Jesus was there. And so that reminds us and reveals to us that evidently if Jesus doesn't change the same day, yesterday, and forever, he would want us all to be healed. Amen? Remember, every promise glorifies God when it's partaken of or received. So, when people get touched by Jesus, then guess what? God is unveiled. And then he is seen as he who cares. He who is merciful. He who is compassionate. He that understands. He that does because he is able. And then we go to, let's go to Luke 10, 1 through 9. Luke 10, 1 through 9. Remember what a disciple is. A disciple is someone that is taught. He is an imitator, a follower of someone that he has made an allegiance to. And after these things, the Lord appointed other 70, not just the 12, 70 also. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. And that's what we do as Christians. Therefore, he said unto them, Now the harvest is truly great, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest 
that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Now understand when Jesus says, I send you forth as lambs, what was he? He was the Lamb of God. How did he come? He came empowered by the Holy Ghost and power and went about doing good. Since we are his seed, we are the lambs of God. Jesus refers to us as the lambs of God. God is our shepherd. What one lamb has, every lamb has. So if we were born from his loins, from his seed, then we are the duplicates of the Lamb of God. Now, and it says, carry neither purse, thank God, nor scrip, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, peace be to this place. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labor is worthy of a hire. Do not, go not from that house, go not from house to house. And in whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as set before you. And try to get the people to believe for healing. And heal the sick that are therein. And say to them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Now, was that just a wish or a dream? Or was it as much of a command that said, if the son of peace is there, let your peace remain. And if it's not, let it return unto you. Is it as much of a commandment to say, don't go from house to house? Don't go from gathering to gathering, assembly to assembly. <laughs> We're throwing that out. We just can't live by being dedicated just to one church. Are you kidding? All right. So what did Jesus tell them? And heal. Somebody say heal. heal. You know what? There is no question that it was Jesus' will that every disciple was enabled with power and authority to go into a city to find people. And when they receive you, now if they reject you, that's unbelief. But if they receive you, then you are to use what you have to heal the sick. It's not a question. It's a command. It's not a wish and a hope. It is a purpose. Only through healing the sick and delivering the oppressed is the kingdom of God ever seen in its fullest measure. 
Why? Because both promote life. Now, here again we see, I want you to go into that city and heal the sick. Now, that is a command. Now, that ought to tell you that if God told you to do something, that we don't ever have to be concerned about God not being with us. And we never have to concern that if nothing happened, that God isn't there. In other words, we have to believe that when we pray for people, that they are as healed as when we pray for sinners to be saved. Amen? Amen. Let's go to Matthew 1, I mean Matthew 10, 1 through 8. <coughs> Excuse me. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And now the name, names of the 12 apostles were these. Go on down to verse 3. Go down to verse 4, Thaddeus. Let's go on down to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and what? Commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles, and into the city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have chicken dinners and yard sales. Heal, heal. What did Jesus say? He said, and he commanded them. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Next verse. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses. Did Jesus want everybody in every city to be healed? Yes. He wanted the church to be a healing agent. He wants everyone healed. Now, I didn't say this. He commanded you to respond to every sickness that we come in contact with. It is never God's position for the church to be unmovable against sickness and disease. It's not. And then when we come to James 5.14, it says this, is there any sick among you? So that means... There may be sick people among us. But we don't want them to remain sick. Call for the elders of the church, those that are skilled in the use of their faith, not just the old and the crepid, but those that have weathered battles, those that have used their faith, 
those that know how to stand, those that know how to resist doubt's opportunities. Go to those men, and they will pray for you the prayer of faith, and the prayer of faith shall save, heal, deliver the sick. It shall. Somebody say, it shall. And the Lord Jesus himself will raise you up. Raise you up. Jesus himself. Now, remember, the prayer of faith shall save, shall what? Save the sick. Saved means the very same thing as healed. Now, if we believe that salvation produces an inheritance of healing, which we do, if we believe that when we pray, we are saved from that moment on, no matter if we make mistakes, no matter if there is evidence of the old, Evidence of what we used to do, evidence of who we used to be, it doesn't matter. We still confess that we are saved, don't we? Okay, when it comes to healing, why do we refuse to confess that which is as real as salvation because we still have a symptom. From the stories that your friends are telling me, you aren't that sanctified anyway. I mean, they tell me of things that you do. And you know the things that you do. You're not perfect, but you tell everybody you're saved. Despite the evidence that declares that there's not a chance in Arizona that you're going to make it. But you keep telling everybody you're saved. And you just keep shaking it, and you just keep going on. And you keep going on. But it's been a whole week. I know. But your faith keeps salvation working and your faith keeps healing working. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And so it doesn't matter. Well, 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 you know, I take medication. How many of you ever took uh, counseling to get better or quit acting like you used to be acting? How many of you got a partner of accountability so you'll quit doing it? You all got medications just in different ways. Just in different ways. And you take those medications. Amen. You call your accountability partner. Amen. You know, you, you, do, you got things on your phone keeping you from seeing porn. Amen. You got all kinds of little medications to help you stay clean. But then when you come to sickness, just because you put a pill in your mouth, you think faith stops working. 
Sin doesn't stop faith from working. In fact, as faith works, you'll confess your sin and reestablish your rightness with God. But without faith, sin will be loose without reins to control it. And without faith, sickness will be loosed no matter what type of medicine you take, and it'll be loosed without control. See, we think because we incorporate an aid that faith cannot help us. I don't think that at all. I think my faith works despite, despite my receiving help from man. What if I was standing at the corner of Main Street and I was saying, God, I just need to get to the doctor. He, he's going to give me samples of medication. He told me if I got there that he'd give me them samples. God, you know I can't use them. And all of a sudden, Philip pulls up in his little uh, Filipino motorcycle and I get on the motorcycle and he says, hey, you know what, I just feel like, you know, hey, it's just you and I today, I have no place, I'm going that way and I'm not going to charge you anything. And I'm thinking, oh, thank God, I didn't have no money anyway. And I get there and the doctor gives me old, outdated samples. But they help ease the pain. Do you think that Philip would have been used of God or was it the devil? I think it was God. And when I took the pill, would I say, God, I cursed the day that that man stopped on that motorcycle. <laughs> or would I say, God, I want to thank you that you've given me favor with men. You've made a way when there wasn't any way. God, I trust you as my healer. Because medicine will deal with symptoms, but many times it just doesn't heal the individual. But thank God for taking care of symptoms. If, I, if banishing cream really worked, <laughs> Phyllis wouldn't be there in the morning. <laughs> My belly would be gone in the morning. My cellulite would be gone in the morning. I'm painting you an ugly picture. I'm telling you, my wrinkles would be gone. But vanishing cream may help with the symptoms, but it is never going to get rid of the problem. So when I would take a pill, I'd say, Father, I want to thank you 
that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I've been healed. The devil might say, are you hypocrite? Well, I'm still saved even when I'm being condemned. And I'm going to keep using my faith because salvation will not stop transforming me as long as I am connected to its author. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. So let's just use our faith. Medicine doesn't stop faith. It doesn't even hinder it. I've had people say, well, I'm, I'm just going to stop taking my medicine. I said, no, 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 no. I prayed for you. That doesn't mean I'm going to bury you. And if you do, it's 175 bucks. Hallelujah. I'm just kidding, Phil. <laughs> so, look, don't stop using your faith. Don't fall into the deception you got saved by faith. You fight and resist temptations by faith. You keep declaring that you are the child of God. Don't give up on your healing. Don't do it. Let the doctor declare you healed. Something will happen. He'll redo a test, whatever it is. And you know what? You'll see God be glorified in your life. Amen? Remember, it's God's will that you be healed, but it's not your healing that pleases God. It's your faith in believing that he is the healer that pleases God. Amen? And if I go to the grave and I die of food poisoning <laughs> after supper someday, I'm not going to blame Phyllis. I'm going to say, no, the food was blessed. That couldn't have been it. Been it. But I all want you to know my real thoughts. Deep in my heart, I know it was. No. No, I, look, by stripes I've been healed. I go into the grave on a slippery banana. I'm still being healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. And I'm still saved no matter how many mistakes I made. I'm still saved. I'm still saved. I'm not letting go of my faith. Don't you let go of yours either. Hallelujah. Quickly stand your feet. Father, let us hold fast to every promise as we do the promise of salvation. You have not failed us in that promise and you will not fail us in any other promise. God, we are the redeemed. We are those that are saved. We are those that are healed, God. We have wholeness of body and of mind. Our cell structures, God, that come out of the marrow of our bones are filled with life, length of days, strength, soundness of body, God, free of disease. You are our protector, our keeper, and God, you are not against us. You are for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Sunday morning.